Guess who's back? Back again. Fritz is back. Tell your friends. That was the lamest opening ever, right? Hey, it's another edition of the Fritzcast. You've been a week without it. Hopefully you've been catching up if you're a newbie listening. Because today we have a lot to cover. Because I didn't cover the RNC. I didn't cover the DNC. And all the scandal and controversy and BS around both of them. It's insanity if you didn't follow it. And even if you did follow it, talking about it still is insanity. So we're going to dive into that. We're going to sink our teeth into it. It's going to be awesome. So get ready. Get raring. You know what time it is. This is FritzCast. You damn right about that, son. Welcome, welcome, everybody. It is Monday. It is Monday. It is August 1st. I want you to take a minute and think about that. It's August 1st. I started this show back in January, and we're about to, we are just a few short months away from being in 2017. That's kind of ridiculous, is it not? Time just keeps moving forward. It's crazy. It's like it's clockwork or something. So I hope you all have been well. Uh, It's been one week without me. Hopefully nobody is as a devoted listener that they were heartbroken that I wasn't on last week. Um, If you are, I'm flattered, but I'm not that amazing. I'm not that awesome. I'm not that truly inspirational or anything. So, But thank you for your dedication. I mean, hey, props to you. You're what keeps this show rolling. My voice might be a little low pitched today. Uh, let's just let's just go over it. What was I doing last week? Why didn't I? Why was there no new Fritzcast? I don't. I didn't know what to do with my life because I couldn't go on SoundCloud and listen to Fritzcast. I don't know what to. Do. I was. It was lost for a week. Hopefully nobody was like that. I was at the beach. Let's see. Last Sunday, not yesterday, obviously, but the last week, I left work at. Like 11.45, got home by midnight, uh, took a quick shower, grabbed my stuff, threw it in my car, drove. It took me about an hour and 45 minutes to get down to Wildwood. I, I, I posted up in there before 2 a.m. And uh, then I went to sleep and slept for a couple hours. And then I enjoyed from all the way from Monday, from the minute I woke up, until Saturday when I left at like 11. It was like 10 or 11 in the morning that I left with my wife. I enjoyed every day out on the beach, in the sun, walking the boardwalk, being at water parks, doing water rides, just not caring about normal life. And it was the fr- it's the first uh, big vacation block that I've had at work. I've had a couple like four day weekends here or there, but I haven't really done anything with them. I'm doing school, uh, which I should be wrapping up within the next year, which will be a just a beautiful thing when I'm done with school. When I have my bachelor's, I'm I'm literally I'm taking a break. I'm trying to find a good job with my degree. Take take what I have already and advance myself further. That's that's the that's the game plan. Whether or not that actually happens, who knows? I have about a dozen cont- contingency plans. That's that's an important thing. But school's going to be over soon. But this past week, I like I did my homework beforehand so that I didn't have to worry about really logging on and doing anything with school. I, I didn't think one bit about work at all. Uh, and, and in any in any capacity, I didn't worry about the home front. Uh, I I love my animals. I love my dogs. I love my cats. Love them to death. They're me and my wife's family currently. Uh, didn't didn't even have a care or a concern about them. They were here at the home front being taken care of. And so I, I just got to focus on the beach. No worries, no problems, no bills, no nothing. Uh, and it was beautiful, let me tell you. If you don't take vacations, if you don't take a break, mind you, my job... Most people listening know I'm in corrections. In corrections, you definitely need your breaks. 
you definitely need your vacations where you just don't have to worry about one goddamn thing at work. It's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. Honestly speaking, though, I mean, anybody who is in a daily grind of anything, it doesn't really matter what it is. It could be, uh, it, it doesn't really matter what your line of work is. If you keep going and it's monotonous and it's the same and it's in and out, uh, factoring in all the other things that you might deal with on a personal level, if you don't have a vacation here and there, if you don't have a break period where you're not worried about just anything, it, it's killer. And sometimes I don't realize it. And I think that's I think that's the biggest killer factor of it all, is that you won't realize it. Uh, I explain this to people all the time working in corrections. I say, when I go in every day, I'm not really stressing about anything. Uh, could something bad happen? Sure. It's, it's prison. Anything can happen in prison. You could have 900... You could have 900 smooth days in a row. You could have 999 smooth days in a row. And that thousandth day will be hell on earth. But that one thousandth day, it potentially can happen any day. You could come in and every day that week will be just the most uh, insane, uh, stressing days of your week. You could have a whole week just of nothing but big ball of stress. And then the next week it will be back to normal. and And you'll have, you know... Day after day after day, it'll just be monotonous, nothing really concerning. But there's an underlying, there's an underlying, what's the word I'm looking for? There's an underlying stress that takes its toll on you, whether you like it or not, and whether you realize it or not. It's there, uh, because it has to play on your subconscious level to some degree. So I tell people as I work in corrections, no, I don't stress every day of my life, but it doesn't matter. As soon as I walk in past the, you know, barb and razor wire fences and and behind the concrete walls, I might not even feel stressed, but there's a stress there and it just it wears at you. And it it there's nothing you can do about that. It's there. That's part of the environment. That's part of what sucks about working in corrections it's that's one of the reasons why when you hear me talk about it I tell you I don't intend to be there for 25 years for retirement I don't think that's worth it I've looked at the statistics of it it's not uh there's there's nothing in play that's beneficial for me staying that long at all and and for the people that are there that say well money's money yeah well money comes at a price my friend and there's a health and a psychological, and I, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to me. Shouldn't be worth it to a lot of people, but that's beside the point. So I had five beautiful days of time in the sun. I actually did something that scared the piss out of me. Almost. I didn't crap my pants or piss myself, but I went parasailing. That was... Uh, Last year we did this, and it seems to be a yearly thing. We go like one week every year, Wildwood. Last year it was a jet ski or jet boat, going on the jet boat. That was fun. They take you out on the ocean. They whip you around in this boat going really fast. They do spins and flips, and it's cool. This year it was parasailing, which I had never done. So if you've never done parasailing, let me tell you. You get on a boat, okay? And I might mind you, these are professional type of people. They're uh they're guys that know what they're doing. They do it every day. They sucker tourists all the time into doing this stuff. But they like to dick around and have fun with you anyway. That's what you do. So you get on this boat, uh two dudes that are laid back and chill who, you know, they're your 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 typical beach type people. They work they drive a boat for a living and throw you up in the air driving a boat really fast and then dick with you when you're up in the air because you know it's fun to do. That that's the uh, that's the underlying of the story. So, you get on the boat, they have a little fun, they play a little music, uh they tell you what to expect and uh, all the steps that you need to take uh to parasail successfully. Uh luckily you can do it. Uh you don't have to go solo. I thought that it was going to be like solo trips. 
which freaked me out even more. I was like, okay, so you're going to send me up there and I have to die alone. That's awesome. No, you know, you, you went in groups of uh, two or three people, which was pretty cool. I didn't know that. So me and my wife went together. So they, uh, as, as they're boating out to the area uh, where they can start sending people up in the air, they uh, start outfitting you with, uh, you know, all your rigs. They put on this, uh, it goes, you have to wrap your legs in it. It's a harness. It comes up underneath you, snaps and straps on around you, and it has two clippies that are going to clip to the parasail that sends you up into the sky because you're nuts and you want to dangle from a boat 200 feet in the air or however high up they take you. I don't know. Uh, so they strap, they strap, they set up your gear. They put on a life vest for you. And uh, then they call you up while the boat is, you know, the boat has to stay in motion because the the parachute has to stay open, has to stay inflated. That's how they set it. So they have you walk up and then turn around, sit your butt down on the deck and scoot back to him so he can hook you up to the rig that's hooked up to the sail, to, to the parachute. So my wife went first. She gets hooked in. They hook me in. As soon as you're hooked in, that's it. They start, they start gunning the boat because you're going to get lifted off the boat now. So he straps me in, and mind you, I'm terrified of heights. I, like, I'm, I'm absolutely 100% terrified of heights, but I do roller coasters. I did this parasailing bit. I climb mountains and go up to the you know, rock edge ledge and look down, and I'm like, wow, look how high up I am. Uh, I don't know why. I think I like to torture myself a little bit. I, I, I don't. I don't see the humor in it. Everybody else does. Everybody else laughs. Uh, I don't. I don't laugh until the end. And then I say, oh, wow, that was fun. But all the time up up to a certain degree, I freak out um, internally. Same thing on roller coasters. When a roller coaster does that slow descent up a hill, I'm like throwing up Hail Marys and uh, I'm praying to God that everything goes okay because it terrifies me. I hate that slow climb up. I hate being stuck up at at a top of a height, um, crazy high. Uh, It's insane. I hate it. But I love it all at the same time. You figure it out. It's not my job to figure it out. So he straps us in, and he says, you guys ready? And I'm like, not really, but okay. I'm gripping on tight to these clips. These, These clips, they come around on either side of you, and they clip onto this thing. So it's almost like you're in a swing. It's like you're holding arms of a swing. I'm holding on to these things for dear life. I don't know why. It's not like it's going to help you if if something fails and the parachute goes down and you're going down in the water. Holding on to these things ain't going to do anything for you. But I'm holding on to dear life. They gun the boat. This thing jerks back and we start floating up into the air and the line is, is letting go and we're just going up and up and up. And I'm sitting here the entire time like, oh... Holy crap. Why, why did I get on this thing? That I'm shouting this down at the guys on the boat. Everybody's laughing. Everybody's looking at my face. There's pictures of me like going, nope, nope, let me down. But we get up there. We get up to the top. I don't know how high they put us up, but that boat was way down there. And I'm just looking over. There's ocean everywhere. I'm in the sky. There's wind blowing everywhere. And I'm just kind of floating there with my wife. I look over and I said, this is awesome. And also terrifying. Why did we do this? <laughs> so, we we uh, we had some fun up there. Um, I guess everybody in the boat wanted to dick with us. Uh, it was my wife's family, so not surprised. They asked the guys, "Hey, what would happen if the line broke?" So they demonstrated what would happen if the line broke while we were up there. Like everybody, when they were up, he was tugging on the line and just shaking it around to give them a little spook because. It'll, you'll see the line shake up from the boat all the way up to where you are, and you'll feel it a little bit jostle, and you freak out. So he did that to everybody. For us, they actually killed the engine and had us like do a descent a little bit, and then they kicked the boat back up, and we went back up in the air. And But when they cut the boat off, and they they cut the boat off, you can actually kind of hear them yelling, and the, the, the captain of the ship just went, Oh, the line broke! And I'm sitting there like, Shit, I didn't read that pamphlet that says what you're supposed to do when the line breaks. Made me feel like a big idiot. My wife was freaking out. And I was like, honey, they're dicking with us. That's what they do. So, moral of the story, you want to go parasailing, 
do it. It's fun. It is the funnest thing you will do. Just be prepared because the boat captain and the assistant, they will dick with you. That's what they do. That's what they're paid to do. They're paid to send you up there and enjoy your Paris sailing time, but also just, you know, joke around with you a bit. Be like, oh, the line snapped. You're going to have to bob in the water a little bit. And everybody coming down, you're supposed to be able to just descend onto the boat without touching the water. They they dipped everybody in the ocean. Everybody got, everybody ate that. So in the meantime, I figured out what my dream job is. My dream job is to be like a jet boat parasailing operator if it paid well. Like, I would do that on my off seasons. I would go, I would go down to the beach in the summer and just do that. But I'd probably get in trouble for dicking with people. Like I would probably give somebody a heart attack, and then I'd be in hot, in a hot mess. So, I guess there goes that dream. I'll just let that fly to the wayside. That being said, let's dive into both the Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention. And if you thought that one was more ridiculous over the other. I hold the humble opinion that you are dead wrong. Both of them were terrible. I mean, we could we could just start tearing into the uh, Republican National Convention. We had, uh, let's see, Ted Cruz, for example. Ted Cruz caught a lot of flack from Donald Trump fans because in his speech at the RNC, he did not endorse Donald Trump. However, he also did not condemn Donald Trump. Now, before I dive into it and read some key highlights from his speech allow me just to say why is anybody surprised by that Donald Trump got extremely personal with Ted Cruz attacking Heidi Cruz it wasn't Ted that opened it up go back and look over the the debates back and forth it was Donald Trump who initiated attacking people on a personal level that's what he that's what he does he pokes people's buttons. That's that's Donald Trump for you. We've had some surprising things happen over the past couple of months. Like Donald Trump personally attacked Ben Carson. Called him crazy. Called him a pedophile. Called him horrible things. Made up false statements against Ben Carson. Treated Ben Carson really like he was scum almost. And, of course, baffling as it is, Ben Carson's now, oh, but yeah, Donald Trump, you know, I think we need to, uh, you know, just get behind what the people want. And uh, I think Donald Trump, if he's surrounded by the right people, he'll do okay. That I'm not good at Ben Carson, okay? Give me a freaking break. I can't do everybody, especially not when my voice is shot. So you had Ben Carson sell out and fall in line with Donald Trump. Uh, Ted Cruz wrote it out until pretty much the end when it was impossible for him to win. So kudos to Ted Cruz. Never really liked the guy, but kudos to him for sticking it out until it was officially over for him. But why Why would anybody, like, why would? Why should he give Donald Trump a ringing endorsement? If, if Donald Trump treated... I know this is this is like the the million dollar sellout question. Uh, if Donald Trump offered you a million dollars, but called you every terrible thing in the book, ninety percent of the people listening out there would say, "Oh yeah, I'll take the million dollars." Well, you know, okay, you have no dignity then, because you'll take a million dollars and you don't care what Donald Trump says, because at the end of the day, you have a million dollars. Well, Ted Cruz clearly isn't the type that's going to take a, a big wad of cash from Donald Trump while he slings poo his way. I I don't want to I don't want to take money from somebody who's going to sling poo at me and try to defame me just so I can say, well, look, I got twenty million dollars here. I I have a little more to me than that. I really would like twenty million dollars, though. If anybody wants to throw it my way, go ahead. Let me just read you some pieces from uh, his his speech at the RNC, though. Um, I mean, one of his opening lines was, and I quote, I congratulate Donald Trump on winning the nomination last night. That's really what elections should be about. That's why you and millions like you devoted so much time and sacrifice to this campaign. We're fighting, 
not for one particular candidate or one campaign, but because each of us wants to be able to tell our kids and grandkids that we did our best for their future and for our country. America is more than just a landmass between two oceans. America is an idea, a simple yet powerful idea. Freedom matters. People are fed up with politicians who don't listen to them, fed up with a corrupt system that benefits the elites instead of the working men and women. We deserve leaders who stand for principle, unite us all behind shared values, cast aside anger for love. That is the standard we should expect from everybody. And to those listening, please don't stay home in November. Stand and speak and vote your conscience. Vote for candidates up and down the ticket who trust, who you trust to defend our freedom and be faithful to the Constitution. That's just quotes bounced around all his speech. People started booing him when he said this last line, when he said, Stand and speak and vote your conscience. Vote for candidates up and down the ticket. They started booing at that because he didn't stand up and say, Vote for Donald Trump, because Donald Trump will do it. Well, why don't you think that he meant for you to vote for Donald Trump? It was a very generic statement. But everybody wants to talk about Lion Ted and how corrupt he is and how, how ashamed he should be and how the slot at the RNC shouldn't have been wasted on him to speak, to say these words, these words, mind you, which is what should be stressed to everybody placing a vote in our society today for politicians. If you're not voting for somebody who you believe wants to be in that chair, who cares about freedom, who cares about America, who cares about the Constitution, who cares about how this country is running if you don't vote in line with that why the hell are you even voting what's the point so an entire crowd at the rnc boos ted cruz because he says the ringing truth of the matter vote your conscience vote up and down the ticket for people who will defend the constitution who will defend freedom those aren't words to be booed. So why did everybody boo them? Is it because they all know in their heart of hearts that Donald Trump is a giant sleazeball that doesn't fit that bill? Because I'm telling you right now, this is why I've never been on the Trump train. I don't think that man knows one goddamn bit of the Constitution. I don't think he's ever read it. I don't even think he knows the history behind the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And it's certainly not at the forefront of his platform. The forefront of his platform is saying whatever the hell you want to hear. And that's bad for you too. So you had Ted Cruz get booed for that. You had the big controversy of Melania Trump and the, quote, plagiarized speech. Now, this one gets me all the time because people talk about these speeches. They talk about when Barack Obama, President Obama, gives a speech or, uh, you know, anybody, anybody get up, any, any politician going up there and giving a speech. I, I don't get the uh, the uproar over it so much because... I hope everybody realizes that this speech that Melania Trump delivered, uh, it was written by a speechwriter. And the plagiarized words, that it's almost word for word from Michelle Obama's 2008 DNC address. Those same words that Michelle Obama spoke at the DNC, they weren't her words either. They were speechwriters. I don't put credence in, in the words of these politicians so much nowadays because 
how many of them are actually genuinely standing at a podium and, and saying their actual true thoughts in their own words. No, they're hiring speechwriters. They write them little speeches. They read off of teleprompters or uh, pages or, or they sit down and they try to memorize their speeches. But that's all it is. It's a, it's a presentation that is at best half genuine, if that. That being said, uh, the passages that are supposedly plagiarized. Here's the, uh, here's the highlighted portions. From Michelle Obama in 2008, it was, quote, And Barack and I were raised with so many of the same values, that you work hard for what you want in life, that your word is your bond, and you do what you say you're going to do, that you treat people with dignity and respect, even if you don't know them and even if you don't agree with them. And Barack and I set out to build lives guided by these values and to pass them on to the next generation because we want our children and all the children in this nation to know that the only limit to the height of your achievements is the reach of your dreams and your willingness to work for them. That's Michelle Obama, 2008. Here's Melania Trump, 2016. Uh, quote, from a young age, my parents were impressed, my parents impressed on me the values that you work hard for what you want in life that your word is your bond and you do what you say and you keep your promise that you treat people with respect. They taught and showed me values and morals in their daily lives. That is a lesson that I continue to pass along to our son. And we need to pass those lessons on to the many generations to follow because we want our children in this nation to know that the only limit to your achievement is the strength of your dreams and your willingness to work for them. So yes... There is very um, glaring similarities in them. And at the end of the day, it doesn't boil down to, oh, Melania plagiarized from Michelle Obama. No, Melania's speechwriter plagiarized from Michelle Obama's speechwriter. It's called laziness. And it's very prevalent nowadays in politics. I don't know if you guys knew that. But try to think about how many speeches you hear these people give and keep in mind there's teleprompters in front of them and there was money and speechwriters and do you think these guys took, you know, valuable time to sit down with these speechwriters and say, I want this covered and this covered and this covered and I want this specifically in there? No, they they sit down and the speechwriters expected to write a speech and pass it off to them and they get money under the table and then they go find another job because they're they're all like they're all freelance speech writers that's what they do they get pegged to do these jobs so that controversy i i found it laughable that it became such a big talking point i mean it was a is it a big deal nobody should plagiarize obviously some of them some of the core of what they were speaking of are the same. You're going to hear people say it the same way and saying it in your own words, it's still going to come out somewhat the same, but to, to, to fault Melania Trump 100% for it. No, no, no. Speech writers. These people, you put them in front of podiums or you make them on the spot, talk about things. They're not going to sound this polished about it. That's like President Obama. I believe he I believe when he's reading off his teleprompter, he might sound like some very big uh he might have a great presence about him, he might have a good charisma when he's reading from the teleprompter. You take the teleprompter away and he becomes a stuttering buffoon. That's how I felt like with his uh with with some of the town halls that he had where he had to take field questions from people. And talk about things without something right there in front of him. It didn't. It doesn't translate very well. How many people can actually put their thoughts up there and just roll with the punches and 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 talk from their heart? The the answer is not a lot anymore because it's more about the presentation and how you look doing it and how you sound doing it. And then of course there was how the RNC opened up. Uh, how about the words from Senator Mike Lee? Uh, quote, I have never in all my life, certainly in six years in the United States Senate, prior to that as a lifelong Republican, 
never seen anything like this. There is no precedent for this parliamentary procedure. There's no precedent for this in the rules of the Republican National Convention. We are now in uncharted territory. Somebody owes us an explanation. I have never seen the chair abandoned like that. They vacated the stage entirely. Now that is in reference to the opening of the convention uh, because Mike Lee was part of a group that was uh, asking the RNC to roll call the vote uh, and it was denied after three states dropped out of petition and uh, the chair ruled by voice vote and this is ridiculous. This is 2016 and we have these packed convention halls and you still do things by like voice vote. Uh, same thing like same thing that happened uh, a couple months ago uh, with the Democratic. I think it was the Democratic caucuses or primaries in Nevada. Uh, they did a bunch of voice voting, and Bernie Sanders fans were mad uh, because the overwhelming majority who were voting against it uh, voiced their opinion, and yet the chair was up there, and the chair said like, "Oh yes, the yays have it." It's such an informal way of uh, tallying up votes. Uh, so there's that controversy as well. But that's all I want to talk about, the Republican National Convention. Let's flip to the Democratic National Convention. Now, right before the Democratic National Convention kicked off, there was a big WikiLeaks release that uh, was a nothing but a big string of emails that uh, was very unprofessional about how they were stymieing Bernie Sanders' campaigns. Um, some of the emails included... Oh, wow. Listen to this. This is from Politico, by the way. Uh, quote, But Wasserman Schultz became fatally damaged goods in her own party after the WikiLeaks released showed Wasserman Schultz referring to Sanders' campaign manager, Jeff Weaver, as a damn liar and an ass and said the senator has never been a member of the Democratic Party and has no understanding of what we do. Article further states, The emails fed the criticism from the progressives and Sanders supporters that Wasserman Schultz and her team were hostile to his campaign from the start and had done their best to help Clinton win the Democratic nomination at the Vermont senator's expense. Before the tussles with Sanders, Wasserman Schultz clashed with fellow Democrats in Congress, the White House, and even a top party donor in Florida, John Morgan. Throughout, Wasserman Schultz resisted repeated calls to resign. So this, this leak happens before the Democratic National Convention, and it essentially forces Debbie Wasserman Schultz to step down because it would be completely humiliating, embarrassing, uh, any other combination of words you want to throw out there. For her to go up and run the DNC, especially after stupid little childish schoolyard tweets to people like Reince Priebus of uh, the Republican, he's the Republican national chairman. She tweeted him during his convention, oh, if you if you need somebody to help run your convention properly, I'm in Cleveland. Uh, ha 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 ha, look how well you've been doing. I mean, this entire time, Bernie Sanders has criticized Debbie Wasserman Schultz from, from the get-go. Which I guess is well within his right. She's right that he has never been a Democrat. He did just, you know, switch. He just did. Uh, he just uh, put in the paperwork and switched over to a Democrat and said, "Hey, uh, I, I'm uh, running on the Democratic banner. Uh, feel the burn. Uh, we're gonna take. We're gonna take over, and uh, we're gonna sweep the nation. Huge amount of, uh, you know, we're gonna take down these Wall Street tycoons." Uh, which obviously are not just the Republican side, but uh, people like Secretary Clinton, yada, yada, yada. All this BS filler for the last months, for months, and it's all just, it's all down the drain. Yes, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is gone, but guess who still endorsed Hillary Clinton? Guess who was still at the Democratic National Convention to endorse Hillary Clinton? Bernie Sanders was. Bernie sellout Sanders. He called for a vote of acclamation. He called for suspending the rules. He said, hey, I just want the tally reflected that uh, we had our own, you know, I want it reflected our numbers versus her numbers. But, hey, give her the nomination. She is the Democratic nominee. And, you know, burst of cheers from everybody there. And and uh, also booze because there's a big faction of Bernie fans that are just freaking pissed off. 
who was it? I think it was Susan Sarandon, Danny Glover, and like a host of like there was a three pair of celebrities. I forget the third one. They held they held a conference outside the Democratic convention, uh, talking about how they were stifling Bernie Sanders and yada yada yada. And all I'm saying is like I yeah. I remember a couple episodes back, I told Bernie Sanders fans, don't you dare settle. Don't you dare settle. I said that when your guy wasn't a sellout. Your guy is a sellout now. How could you possibly back him? How could you possibly care about him anymore? I don't understand it. There's this BuzzFeed memo that's been going about. Um, I'm going to uh, <laughs> I'm gonna quote some of it. Uh, whether or not it's true, it's up in the air. Because uh, it was from BuzzFeed, but BuzzFeed dug up all that trash on Donald Trump that everybody shared like hotcakes. So you have to take it at, at least, you know, you have to take everything with a grain of salt, I guess. But this was uh, this is all from BuzzFeed, uh, supposed internal memo of what the Sanders team wanted from the DNC uh, in order to not cause a scene or a ruckus at the convention, supposedly. Um, it was supposedly an internal memo titled Endgame uh, left in a Los Angeles hotel restaurant. So here's the gist of this story. Uh, it was part of negotiations with the Hillary Clinton heading into this week's convention. Uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign considered demanding a private plane staffed and funded by the DNC as part of the negotiations. The plane was to be used, quote, for a series of fall rallies in the battleground states, according to the, quote, Bernie 2016 memo, uh, which was drafted in the days before Sanders' sound defeat in the June 7th California primary, the contest that effectively ended his, uh, his, his bid for... Democratic nomination. Uh, this plan would be paid for by the DNC. It reads, Document reveals in its final days considering whether to fight on with a divisive critique of Clinton, um, yet attuned to diminish influence inside the party. Uh, let's see. Further states... The memo titled Endgame also suggested that Vermont senators campaign for Senate Democrats to, quote, help deliver a majority and take credit for it. One of several references throughout the four-page document showing the extent to which aides remained aware of the opportunities to take credit amid decreasing leverage. Uh, the more Senator Sanders campaigns, the more credit he can take for the Democratic victory and continue to keep his movement energized and in place. Uh, a copy of this memo, according to this article, was shared with BuzzFeed News after it was found on June 5th in a Los Angeles hotel, a double tree where Sanders and his aide stayed that night. The document details the way the campaign hoped to keep their candidate rele relevant and further his political revolution ahead of the convention kicking off here on Monday. Uh, senior officials from the Sanders campaign declined to comment on this. DNC and the Clinton campaign did not respond to uh, calls to comment on it. But still there was the Feel the Burn fans. Still there were. Still they were. Oh, something's going to happen at the convention. Nope. Sorry. Books closed. Deal sealed. Sell out full. Like, I don't understand this. If you had, If Rand Paul, and mind you, I didn't talk about this when I talked about the RNC stuff, but Rand Paul didn't attend the RNC. You want to know what Rand Paul was doing? He was doing his pro bono uh, eye surgeries, which he does periodically, which stupid people comment on Twitter and say, oh, look, he's bragging about what he's doing instead of just doing it uh, for the attention. He's Rand freaking Paul, all right? He's a doctor, and he's a senator, and he balances both those jobs. And he would have been a uh, just a goddamn excellent choice for the Republican Party, but you all wanted loudmouth, buffoonish Donald Trump. But if Rand Paul had gotten up and totally 180'd on his stances of freedom, the Constitution, his libertarianish style, I would not support the man. I would backtrack 
everything nice I've ever said about him. I'd backtrack all that devotion I have towards that guy. Because he, right now, Rand Paul is probably one of my favorite senators uh, in that Senate. Right now. Yes, he's not a full-blown libertarian, but he's libertarian-ish, which, honestly, being a libertarian myself, I'm libertarian-ish. I'm not... I'm not a full-on. I don't even know. Nobody nobody in the Libertarian Party could tell you what a full-blown Libertarian is or looks like. Everybody has a different idea of it. Everybody has a different approach of, of how to further advance the, the, the goal of freedom. That brings me to Gary Johnson. Where is Gary Johnson standing right now? Now, this, this is literally spur-of-the-moment news that I just just from typing it in my phone I just figured out Gary Johnson just posted it on his Facebook he probably didn't do it it was probably a staffer I got you I got you we'll, we'll play along somebody on Gary Johnson's staff just posted on his Facebook literally six minutes ago uh, round two libertarian presidential town hall on CNN will be on August 3rd at 9 p.m. with Governor Gary Johnson Governor Bill Weld the Team Gov ticket, if you will. Where does he stand in the polls right now is a, is a different question. Uh, and part of it, I, you know, part of it, I don't know if it's, if it's laziness on his campaign's front or if it really is the media just trying not to give it attention. And I think it can be a little bit of both. I think you can uh, look at it objectively and point at both sides of this coin and say that it is just as much this lackadaisical approach from the Johnson campaign, it would seem, to me at least anyway, and the media not wanting to cover it. Uh, reading this LA Times article, Nicholas Goldberg uh, interviewed Gary Johnson. This, this article is posted today, so I'll read some of this for you. It opens with Nicholas Goldberg stating... So let me kick it off with a question that you've gotten 10,000 times before, and I'm sure you'll have a well-prepared answer for it. Your campaign seems to be hovering in the 12% range. The goal is to get to that 15%, which would get you into the debates. You got a million votes in 2012 when you ran, out of more than 100 million votes. We're here to, deci we're here to try to decide who to endorse in this race. Your candidacy sounds like a long, long, long shot, a protest vote. Why would we urge people to vote for you? Gary Johnson. No, I haven't been a asked a question like this. This is the first time, so wow. Jokingly. Uh, this is this is two former Republican governors having gotten reelected in heavily blue states. So what's that animal? What makes that what makes up that animal? So in myself and Bill Weld's case, that's being fiscally conservative and socially liberal. We don't care what you are socially as long as you don't force it on others. The third unique leg on that stool is ready to be skeptical about the military interventions. The fact that these military interventions have led to the unintended consequence of things being made worse, not better. Rule the world with free trade. Rule the world with diplomacy. So free trade, lower taxes, smaller government, but recognize that government does have a role and a choice. Always coming down on the side of choice when it comes down to you and I as individuals. Those choices that don't put others in harm's way. Now, furthermore, one of the quotes that I actually like in this article, um, Mike McGow, who is also conducting this interview, asked, uh, If the debates are open to any political party that is on enough state ballots to win the presidency in theory, would it be a four-candidate debate or would it be more? Gary Johnson's answer was, quote, yeah, it would be four. It's my understanding that the Green Party was on the ballot in 36 states in 2012, enough to get 270 electoral votes. It's my understanding it would be the same this time. 36 states for the Green Party, and we will be on the ballot in all 50 states. Not yet accomplished, but way ahead of schedule from 2012 and on the ballot in the two states that we weren't qualified in 2012. Gary Johnson isn't just backing the Libertarian Party, he's backing options. He's backing more voices, more choice, more angles to look at. He's not just fighting for himself in the Libertarian Party. He has actually put himself out there for the Green Party and Jill Steen. And they have in tandem sued the Commission on Presidential Debates, which 
If you go back a couple episodes, we talked about that. We talked about how that organization might have a little bit of a bias towards the two-party duopoly. But that was last episode. We're not going to talk about this right now. We're getting actually getting ready to wrap up. The thing with Gary Johnson, and I have this argument with a lot of libertarian-esque people and libertarians alike, is that, well, Gary Johnson isn't libertarian enough, and he's not a real libertarian, and he's just a, a Republican flip who, yada, yada, it's the same argument every time. And then there's the argument that I have with my friends all the time who, they say, look, I, I, I like your stance, and I really, you know, I think the same way you do. I just can't vote for Gary Johnson because it's going to give Donald Trump the election or it's going to give Hillary Clinton the election. If everybody who said that voted for Gary Johnson, it would be Gary Johnson's race to lose. It would be his, it would be his race to lose. There are more independent voters than there are to Democrats or Republicans. Period. The end. That doesn't mean they all fall in line with Gary Johnson and that doesn't mean they all vote for Gary Johnson. For me, and the way I'll keep explaining this Every time. I'm not so much as voting for Gary Johnson. Or for that libertarian platform per se. I am voting because he lines up with what I believe will be steps to build the country more the way I think it should be. When you're trying to change the political landscapes, you have to take baby steps. And it's something that's not going to happen overnight. And that's something that libertarians alike need to realize. It's, it's people who want maybe smaller governments, uh, push back a little more openness, a little more freedom going on. You have to take baby steps for it. You can't snap your fingers and have it overnight. It never happens that way. It'll take 10, 15, maybe even 20 years or more to get it done. You got to take the baby steps. And the baby step right now, I believe, is you have two parties that like to stalemate all the time. They like to they like things to be stagnant. They like to do very little. They like to do it towards election time. Um, there are no... There's no caps for, uh, there's no term limits for senators in Congress. And people argue against term limits. I don't know why. Uh, term limits seem like a good idea because it puts fresh ideas and faces in there. It makes people work towards the end goals. You don't have these people sitting in Congress for 20 plus years in cushy jobs because, you know, that's what it is. Take a look at the roll call votes. Take a look at how often they're actually actively participating or just vacationing somewhere. Baby steps. So what does Gary Johnson want? He, he wants to step towards less taxation, lessen the role of the federal government, strengthen the state governments. He wants to walk that line. No, if he gets elected, it's not going to all happen overnight. But I think we take the right steps in the right direction. Plus, we're opening up more voices and more parties, which I think is something that severely needs to be looked at nowadays. I don't think Republican and Democrat really fits the bill for talking about social issues, political issues, global issues. It's so it's such a black and white approach, and I think it's very narrow-minded. So my vote for Gary Johnson and the Libertarian Party is on the principle that it will be a step in the right direction. Even if he doesn't win the election, I don't care what any of you say. Me voting for Gary Johnson isn't helping Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton much at all. It's me saying, this is the way that we need to go. This is the direction we need to look. These are the principles that I believe need to be put at the forefront. And that's going to be reflected not only in my up ticket vote, but my down ticket vote. More and more people need to start paying attention to their local elections, their local representatives.
And I think a step in the right direction right now is proving that there's enough people to want a third party, to want a different approach to things. And maybe that legitimizes the third party. Or at least it makes the other two bend our direction. So I'm going to leave you guys with that. That's all I have in the tank for this week. It's been 50 minutes. It's been damn near an hour. So I hope maybe you took something out of this. Uh, I'd like to just, you know, at this time, thank you all for listening. I am over 900 plays on SoundCloud alone, which is an accomplishment to me. I'm, I'm one dude who's paying to do this and see what comes of it. I've had over 900 listens on SoundCloud alone. I, I, can't even, I, I can't even begin to compile the numbers on iTunes, Stitcher, and the people who download the show. So I thank you all for doing that. Share it with somebody if you think that they would like this, this kind of commentary, this kind of talk. Uh, like, comment, share, whatever it is you want to do, however you want to contact me. Let me know what you think of the show. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen. Because that's that's ultimately really what I'm promoting here. I'm promoting conversation and uh, different ways of thinking about things. And just some of it is just me venting, really. Because so, sometimes you just got to vent. I'm back on normal schedule, so next week we'll be back with another fun-filled episode of the Fritz Cast. Love you all. Enjoy your week. 